Episode 7 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. Feed your mind. Alright guys, welcome along to episode 7 of Fitness Behaviour, your monthly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that come along with it. Uh, I suppose today I have to start the show on a bit of a sad note really because um, I live in Christchurch, New Zealand, if you don't know that about me, and unfortunately in the last week we've had a devastating earthquake um, causing uh, billions of dollars of damage and uh, at this moment in time the death rate's around 128 people but it's they kind of think it's going to go up to around um, over 200 to maybe 300 people so it's been a pretty kind of horrific time in Christchurch and um, before I tell you about my experience around it I just want to say thank you to everybody who sent me messages uh, via Twitter, Facebook or by email Um, I've had so many messages first of all before you even knew how I was uh, asking how I am and then once you found out that I was okay uh, just you know, sending your love and your energy my way in and the direction of Christchurch, and uh, it's, it's definitely a pretty sad time in Christchurch right now. So the support you're you're sending to me and my community really does mean a lot. Uh, I thought I'd just give a quick wrap up of what's been happening in Christchurch, and because uh, the funny thing with podcasting is that these shows go on forever. So you may be listening to this a couple of years from now, and uh, maybe it's not applicable there. But I think it's relevant to tell what's happened. Um, on Tuesday morning, or around lunchtime on Tuesday, we had this, uh, it was only about 6 point, I think it was only about 6.3, but it was only 5 k's deep, and pretty close to the centre of uh, Christchurch, only about 3 k's, or maybe 5 k's from the centre of Christchurch, um, and it was quite good, and I was at home actually, and I hit the doorway, and the house was just shaking like crazy, um, at the time, you knew it was pretty bad, because we've had another earthquake around six months ago and that was pretty bad as well but the damage to the house it wasn't that bad whereas with this one everything was just falling over uh, all my cutlery all my glasses smashed in the kitchen and everything like this so you kind of knew it was bad pretty pretty much straight away I went out onto the street and all the roads had been lifted up um, and then uh, through time you kind of learnt that the city was pretty well lots of parts of the city were pretty destroyed uh, I speak to my own experience of the earthquake. It was really an interesting time in that um, you feel very hopeless. What happens is, or well, this is my experience of it, is that you suddenly have lost all communication with the world. Uh, I do have a transistor radio, so I was able to put that on and uh, kind of hear what was happening through the updates. But all your loved ones, my daughter, my partner Joe, my mum, my dad, my sister, my family... Uh, you're trying to get hold of them and occasionally you get some text messages and uh, you know but it took a a fair while to get hold of all those people and at the same time you didn't really know what to do so I'm I'm in my house and I'm thinking and I'm thinking do I uh, do I try to head into town to try help out or should I stay here because people are trying to get hold of me and for about three hours I kind of just stood still not knowing what to do and uh, as time went on uh, and the communication lines got better, I found out that everyone was safe and managed to get hold of people. And uh, But it was definitely one of those times in life where you feel out of control and a little bit hopeless around the situation. Uh, fortunately for me, because it's been such a devastating time, 
Um, my family and my loved ones are all fine. I, I do know a couple of the people who have died, so that's it's pretty sad. And um, yeah, it's pretty horrific. So it's very sad. And um, on a positive note, my house has got through pretty unscathed. There are some cracks in my walls and stuff like that, but nothing that can't be repaired pretty quickly over the next few months. It's going to be a pretty big rebuilding time in Christchurch. Um, but I think one thing that's really great about um, these natural disasters that can happen is it can bring out the best in people. And I think uh, the people of Christchurch over the last you know, six or seven days since this has happened um, have really shown that in times of need people do bond together and achieve and create some pretty special help and and relationships together so um i think i'll just leave it at that for now right now but i just i want to recap that i um i really really appreciate all the emails all the support you guys sent through i just one thing if you do want to support uh financially towards the earthquake fund uh, the best place to go is to red cross uh now you probably want to look up red cross on google and do a um, Google search for Red Cross Christchurch earthquake. Um, I know that they do have a way to donate from international countries. So, for example, if you're in America, you can donate to this cause from America. Uh, but again, the best way to do this is through Google. Uh, if you're living in other parts of New Zealand, um, obviously go to redcross.co.nz. Um, yeah, so I think I'll probably just leave it there. But it's definitely been a pretty sad time in Christchurch. On a more positive note, uh, I must say the amount of feedback I got around the interview with David uh, last month's show has been phenomenal. Uh, I did think it was a really important interview and it's something I've been really trying to push to uh, all different types of outlets so people could hear this because I thought it was really great. And I got lots and lots of feedback around this interview and I thought I'd just share one email which kind of encapsulates what you guys you know, thought about it. It's by a guy called Ryan Clark who is a fitness professional in America actually and uh, and he, he pretty much what he said. He said, uh, I want to give you a double high five for your interview with David Kessler. I've listened to that podcast twice now and I want to listen to it again. The challenge of managing eating and craving is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. The gym I go to, Gold's Gym in Washington, USA, we have a Gold's Gym Challenge, 12 weeks to change and challenge yourself. While I've been a body attack instructor for almost a year, I wanted to take part in this challenge. Why? Top reason to focus and improve my eating nutrition habits. Also, I wanted to show myself and others that even though I'm a group fitness instructor, I can't stop working on improvement. Well, my first three weeks went great. The last week and a half has been a challenge of eating. Dinners out with family and friends, drinks with buddies. Then I listened to your podcast. Wow, this makes sense. It was so great that I went to your site and clicked on the link and bought the book for my Kindle. I can't wait to start reading it. At the moment, I'm watching college basketball and my mind is telling me to go make some popcorn because that's what I'm used to doing. But I know better. I'm conditioned to do that. I am not hungry now. Change the behavior. Anyway, just wanted to share with you that you're making a difference for me. You're making me healthier by making me smarter. And I shared your podcast on our Facebook page for the Gold's Gym Challenge and hopefully it will help reach some other people. So, uh, you know, I think that that really encapsulates, you know, kind of what we're all thinking. And, and, and I must say, you know, it's, it's interesting and I think it's important that you guys hear this is that fitness professionals, you know, like Ryan, we, we struggle with this stuff as well. And it was really obvious in David's interview about that, that, fitness professionals also you know just because we may look healthier doesn't mean we necessarily um, are really ironclad when it comes to our nutrition habits so 
Uh, I think one thing that the more that we can all understand that we uh, this is an area we will struggle in, the, the more we can combat it together. So um, just wanted to say thanks for all the feedback on the interview because I did think it was a really important interview. And, and if anything, help your friends all see. I just had a little earthquake then. <laughs> uh, if, if anything, do me a favour and share it with your friends because... Uh, you know, but it was a good interview. Anywho, we're going to get into this month's show. I've got a show that I'm I'm pretty excited about. It's uh, going to be on a topic that uh, I do a little speaking around. This kind of talk today is actually based on one of the talks that I do when I do public speaking. And uh, that's enough. Let's let's put it on. Let's get some music on. Let's get the show on the road. I'm going to name a list of things and the purpose of naming this list is for not to make you judge the things I'm going to name I really don't want you judging them what I want you to do is I just want you to be aware of how well you know these things so again you're not judging them it's just how well do I know these things so here I go McDonald's Coca-Cola Nike Apple Shell Petrol, Levi's, Heineken, Virgin, Visa, and Starbucks. Okay, so again, didn't want you to judge them. I just want you to be aware of how well you know those things. We're going to come back to those later on, but next up what I'm going to do is I'm going to put an interview on with a guy called... Dick Hoyt. Now, Dick Hoyt is the father of the father and son combination of Rick and Dick Hoyt, who some of you may know of and some of you may not know of. Rick and Dick Hoyt have become world famous, really, because they're a combination of two people who have completed athletically under conditions that most people would never consider. Rick is the father, and he's been competing with his son since the early 80s, and Rick Hoyt is the son, and he has cerebral palsy. And they have completed races by Rick pushing Dick through races um, from 10k races through to marathons through to Ironman triathlon. But instead of me talking about it, I'm going to put a bit of an interview up that I did with Dick uh, a while ago. And you can have a listen to some of the stuff that he's done. Right, guys, so um, on the show today we have probably one of the biggest legends in the sport of Ironman. You know, we have the Mark Allens and the Dave Scotts of the world, but one of the people, the, the two people who have really made our sport huge around the world are Rick and Dick Hoyt, and um, I'm sure most of you have actually seen the video of them and Ironman and some of the great stuff they've got on YouTube, and maybe even seen Dick actually out there talking. And today I have Dick Hoyt on the show. So welcome, Lloyd Dick. How are you going? Oh, thank you. I'm doing very well. Thank you. So, nice to talk to you. It's, um, it's, it's, you know, it's a treat to have you on the show, I tell you. Um, can you just tell me about, first of all, a bit of your history before you started getting into doing all the sports, where you came from uh, before you started running with uh, Rick? Well, I was, uh, I was one of ten, my family, you know, and um, let's see, we were very active, you know, in all different sports, all ten of us. We always, we had a good, great time, you know. Uh, playing together, but we were kind of a poor family, and when we played ice hockey, we'd have to, you know, share skates, and then we'd chop a little branch off a tree and take a piece of wood and use it as a puck and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. But uh, I was very uh, active, and I I always did things the tough way. You know, I I always chopped wood so we have, you know, heat in the wintertime and stuff like that, and I used 
used to work very hard. I used to go out and, and uh, weed gardens for 50 cents an hour and pick strawberries and stuff like that for $5 a basket. And so I was always doing things that the rough way and the tough way. Um, and then when I got into school and uh, when I got into the sixth grade, I found out what sports was all about. And, uh, and so I really got involved in sports. Even though I was very, very small, I was 90 pounds soaking wet. Wow. When I was a freshman in school, and I was playing middle linebacker and fullback and all this and that, I just loved to uh, go out there and play rough sports and be able to hit people and stuff like that, <laughs> you know. So, um, and when I went to high school, that's all we had was uh, three sports. That's all we had was basketball, baseball, and football. And I was captain of the baseball team and captain of the football team. And I did play basketball, even though I was very short, you know. But uh, we had a lot of fun. There was only 50 kids in our graduating class, and we only wow. had 11 players on a football team, so nobody could get hurt, and you had to play both ways, you know? Great. But, um, and when I was going through high school, I met my wife, Judy, um, and uh, she was the head cheerleader, and I was captain of the football team, and so we started dating at a very young age, and we ended up uh, the class couple, you know, when, uh, when we graduated as seniors, and then we got married, um, I was 19, she was 18, and uh, Rick was born when I was 20, and she was 19. And when well, so you're Rick, quite young, weren't you? What's that? You were quite young. Quite young, yes, mm. when we got married. I mean, we we were dating for six years before we got married, so we started dating when we were about 13 years wow. old. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And so oh. did you notice right from the start, obviously, there were complications with Dick. Um, How did you handle that stage? Well, what happened, you know, we were very young, and um, when Rick was born, he was a very active baby, and he turned himself over, and the biblical cord got twisted around his neck, and he was in such a position that took a matter of minutes before the doctors could get at it and untangle it. Well, that caused a lack of oxygen to Rick's brain, which caused brain damage, which is cerebral palsy. Yep. And at the time, we knew there was something wrong with Rick, but we did not know exactly what. Okay. So the doctors made an appointment for us to see a specialist when he was nine months old. And we took Rick to the specialist, and they did all kinds of tests, and the tests come back, and they were very negative. They said, forget Rick, put him away, put him in an institution, he's going to be nothing but a vegetable wow. for the rest of his life. And, you know, we haven't figured out what kind of vegetable he is yet. <laughs> but, but anyway, on the way home from that uh, doctor's appointment, my my wife Judy at the time, you know, her and I cried, but then we talked and we said, no, we're going to bring Rick home and bring it up like any other child. And this is what we have done. Rick has been mainstreamed and included all of his life. Today, Rick is 46 years old. He still can't talk, uses his arms and his legs, but he's graduated from public high school. He's graduated from Boston University. He lives all by himself in his own apartment, and Rick and I, up to today, have done 987 athletic events. Wow. So what got you started in athletic events? What was that again? What got you started in athletic events? Well, you know, I didn't start till I was 40 years old, because when Rick was born, I had to get a couple of jobs because of all the expenses of mm. paying his medical bills. Yeah. So Rick, Rick was attending a South Middle School out in Westfield, Massachusetts, and his gym teacher got him involved with all the other children in, in the gym activities, and he was also a basketball coach at Westfield State College, and he used to take Rick to the basketball games. Well, one of the basketball games, they made an announcement that one of the cross players from the college was in an automobile accident. He was paralyzed from the waist down. So when Rick came home from that basketball game, he told me all about it. He said, Dad, I have to do something for him. I want to let him know that life goes on even though he's paralyzed. Wow. I want to run in the race. Wow. 
and that's how it all got started. So when you first started out, what kind of racing were you doing? Well, uh, you know, I was 40 years old, and I was not a runner. I used to run maybe three times a week, a mile each time, just to try to keep my weight down. Yep. And, and that's all we had was a Mulholland wheelchair, which was prescription form fitted to Rick's body. And we had a hard time pushing him in it, never mind running in it. But it was a five-mile race, and we went down, and they gave us the number double zero. And the gun went off, and Rick and I took off with all the other runners. Well, everybody thought that Rick and I would go to the corner and turn around and come back. Well, we didn't. We finished the whole five miles coming in next to last, but not last. That's one thing in all the events that we've been in, we've never been last. Really? Yeah. So then, so then did that just get the fire burning and, you know, obviously started a big thing? We, what happened was, you know... Um, I, when we get through with that race, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like my disability disappears. Wow. Which was a very powerful message to me. If you think about it, somebody can't talk, use their arms and their legs, and now they're out there, it, and the disability disappears when they're running. He actually called himself Freebird because now he was free and able to get out there and run and compete with everybody else. Wow. But there was only one problem after that first race. I was disabled. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't know you had so many muscles in your body that could ache. You know, I couldn't walk for two weeks. Oh, really? So I told Rick, I told Rick, I said, if we're going to continue running, we're going to have to get a chair built, you know, so I wouldn't be hurting as badly. So we found an engineer, and he just got some old pipes and some old tubings, and he welded them together, and then we got an insert. For, for Rick to sit in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, there were no baby joggers and the regular wheelchair athletes were using the four wheelchairs. Well, our chair had two wheels in the back and one in the front. Uh, Just think if we had patented that chair. Yeah, mate, you'd be made. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, we had a bike company working for us, and I said, look, you got to build these chairs because other people are going to want them. And, uh, and they just walked away. You know, five years later, they were out buying baby joggers and selling them. Uh, so I really feel the baby joggers got patented after our chair. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you, you know, Rick and I weren't thinking about that. That's all we were thinking about was getting a chair built so we could compete together. So obviously the first, we, big, the first big event would have been maybe doing a marathon. Was that the first, you know, the first huge thing you did? Yeah, um, you know, we, 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 this new chair we got built, we call a running chair. Yep. And we went over to do what we call our first official race, which was over in Springfield, Massachusetts. And nobody had come near us, nobody had talked to us, and nobody wanted us in the race, you know. And finally, the overall race, the director said that we could run. Well, it, it was a 10K race, 6.2 miles. Yep. And there were 300 runners, and Rick and I finished 150th out of the 300 runners. Oh, so then after that, we'd go to a different town and a different city and run, and finally people started coming up to us and talking to us, and they could see that Rick had a personality and such a humor, and he loved to be in the middle of running with everybody else. Yeah. Now, when we first started running, I used to get a lot of phone calls and letters from other families that had people with disabilities, and they were very upset with me. They said, what are you doing dragging your disabled son through all these races? Really? Are you just looking for glory for yourself? Wow. But they didn't realize he was the one that was dragging me through all the races. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that fall, Rick and I sat down and talked about what we wanted to do the following year. We decided we wanted to run the Boston Marathon. So we applied for the Boston Athletic Association. They turned us down. They said, no, you can't run without us. You're different than anybody else. 
but the Boston Marathon has a wheelchair division, so we applied through them. But they also turned us down saying, no, you're different than us, you can't run with us. But what they did say is, if you want, you can line up behind us and run. And that's what we did in 1981. Uh, and we ran our very first Boston Marathon in three hours and 18 minutes, wow. and that beat 85% of all the other runners. Wow. Well, we, we, I was looking, I was doing a bit of research into you, and your best time's 2.40, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. Man, that's so impressive. So, yeah. And, you, and you, how old were you when you did that? What's that? How old were you when you did your 240? I was in my 50s. I, I don't know the exact age. I think it was right around uh, 53 or 54 years old. I thought I'd put a bit of context into how, how amazing um, what, what Rick and Dick Hoyt are doing it, it really is. Um, so a 240 marathon is bloody fast. Like, admittedly, I'm not much of a marathon runner. I've done a few marathons in my time, but I was, I'm a good athlete, and my PB is only 242. Uh, if you went to the Christchurch half marathon, or the Christchurch Marathon, which is my local marathon, which has about five or 600 competitors in the marathon distance, he would be in the top 15 in a time of 2.40. Now, a time of 2.40 is blimmin' fast for most runners. A time of 2.40 pushing your son in a trolley in when you're 52 or 53 is amazing. Since that, over the years, these guys have, have done so many races. They've done over 238 triathlons, completed six Ironman triathlons, seven half Ironmans. They've done over 68 marathons and, uh, you know, 92 half marathons. Their times are phenomenal. They've done a 15Ks in 59 minutes. They've done a 35-minute 10K. They've done a 13-hour Ironman. You know, these guys really are an inspiration to all of us. I actually thought I'd share a, an experience I had around Rick and Dick Hoyt uh, that uh, really kind of kind of goes in line with what today's show is kind of about. I um I managed to qualify for the Ironman World Championships in Kona in Hawaii in 2004. And uh, for those who don't know much about Ironman, the, the idea of just qualifying to get to Hawaii is the biggest dream that you can do in the sport and you can't just enter the world championships you actually need to go to some other Ironman around the world and pretty much have to get within the top three to five within your age group to even enter the race so I went to Ironman New Zealand I managed you know fortunately enough to win my age group at Ironman New Zealand and so I was able to go to Hawaii so a few months later I headed over to Hawaii and, and when you land in Hawaii and you get to Kona it's one of the most surreal experiences you'll have in your life. Because you're walking down the road and you are surrounded by the leanest, fittest people in the world in their peak condition. There's not an ounce of body fat around the whole place. And after a while, you're, you're walking around and you're having a look around. And, and after a while, you realize that you're one of those people. And I have to admit, at that time, I, I got an ego boost. I, there was a sense of esteem that got out, and my head kind of grew bigger because I felt, you know, wow, I'm one of the world's fittest people, and there was, you know, definitely esteem that came to that. Fast, fast forward to the race day, and uh, this, the, the pre-race before an Ironman is, is really a special thing. And the reason it is is because 
It's the biggest day in people's lives. And the morning of the race, you go down to set up your bike and put your, your run gear in and put all your gear in. And, and there's thousands of people in kind of a dark morning of, you know, lights hanging over so you can kind of see where you are. And there's this calm music in the background. And there's, there's a still quietness to it that is unnerving. And you look at people and, and you have this look that you all know that you're about to face something that is raw and honest and will either make you or break you. I go along and, and I've set up my bike and I put my shoes on and I go and get my numbering done. So you have to get numbers when you do triathlon and I, I'm going along to get my numbers done. And I stand next to this guy called Tom. Now Tom was this Canadian guy. He was a little bit taller than me. He was about six foot three and I, and I seem to remember he was cross-eyed for some reason. And we started talking and, and one thing you do... Uh, in, in my sport of Ironman is that you your time kind of defines you how fast you've done a race in the past really defines you and so when you're talking to someone you often want to know you know and if you're a good athlete which I was kind of a good athlete um, you're trying to find out what time they've done and if you've done better you obviously get an ego boost from that so Tom and I are talking and and he's saying he's, well, he's hoping to go 10 hours because it's around his PB and, and at that time I was hoping to go I think around 9.30 so Again, I'm getting this ego boost. I'm feeling, you know, pretty great and feeling, you know, really good about myself. And, and you know, the ego is kind of exploding as I'm talking to Tom. Suddenly I turn around and right behind me are Rick and Dick Hoyt. And they're pumping up the boat that they used to swim the 3.8k swim of the Ironman that day. Dick, the father swims with a harness with Rick, his son, in a boat for that whole swim. Then he gets on a bike and there's like a carriage with his son on the bike rides the whole 180 k's with his son on the bike. And then at the end of that, he then puts his son in kind of like a baby buggy and runs the full marathon with his son in the cart. And I remember turning around back to Tom and Tom just said to me, now that's a real Iron Man. And I know at that moment, my ego deflated and it brought me back to what this is really about. So now I have a question for you. After listening to the interview with Dick Hoyt and uh, some of the things I've talked about since the interview, are you feeling a little inspired? Do you kind of think to yourself that if these guys can get out there and do it, Maybe I can. I'm looking at their website right now and you know I've got this big yes I can, yes you can kind of thing coming out from their website. And after hearing stories of these guys and, and, and seeing their videos and seeing what they do, you can't help but be inspired. But I want to take you back. I want to take you back to the list that I mentioned before we talked about Rick and Dick Hoyt. The list of key brands that spend billions and billions of dollars to fight for your mind space. And that's what today's show is all about, is what do you feed your mind? When we think of the brands that I mentioned earlier, McDonald's, Coke, Nike, Apple, Shell, Levi's, Heineken, Virgin, Visa and Starbucks, these brands spend billions and billions of dollars a year to convince you to want to buy their product. For example, I did a bit of research on the show. Coke spends two point now. You know, this might not be one hundred percent sure, but these are the figures I could find at the time. Coke spends two point five billion dollars 
annually on their marketing. Nike spend 1.7 billion, Apple they spend 3.8 billion dollars a year, and McDonald's uh, I could just only get the US figure was around a billion dollars a year as well. It was just for the US. These companies understand marketing. Marketing basically says that if you can get the right message in front of people and tell them enough times that they're going to want to buy your product. That by showing their concepts or their, their business, their brand in front of you enough, you are going to want and it's going to plant a seed in your mind to want to move towards their products. They know this so much that they spend billions and billions and billions of dollars a year to get your mind space. If you think about fitness, one of the biggest components of fitness is nutrition, health, or healthiness. One of the biggest components of being healthy is your nutrition. You know, the food you put in the body, the way you fuel your body. If if you want to be a healthy body, one of the best things you can do is feed your body with the good fuel. And the result is the body functions better because of the good nutrition you're putting in. Well, the mind is the same thing. If you allow your mind to be owned by people who are fighting and spending a huge amount of money for your mind space, you will just end up moving towards those things. But if you consciously choose to put in your mind content that inspires you, motivates you, grows you, you'll grow more as a person and move towards the areas of life that you want to go in. For example, I'm going to introduce a concept to you, a rule that I, that I really live by and I really think this is a great rule. It's called the 50-50 rule. Now, the 50-50 rule goes like this. If you were to spend, um, to look at all the amount of time you spend a week consuming content, so for example, let's say uh, you, you're on the internet, you watch TV, you listen to the radio, um, you read books, you know, any consumption of content, let's say that equals 15 hours a week. If you were to cut that content time in half to seven and a half hours each, seven and a half hours for pure entertainment, you know, like I love movies as much as the next one, you know, if you want to watch TV, you know, I, people often talk about how just sitting in front of TV is their time to relax. I will argue that maybe there are better ways to relax, but we'll go into that in a future show. But you know, just of that 15 hours, cut it in half, seven and a half hours for pure entertainment. You can listen to your favourite uh, radio show, watch your favourite movies, watch your favourite TV programmes. But then with the other seven and a half hours, the other 50%, if you were to replace entertainment content with content that inspires you, motivates you, and grows you in the areas that you want to be passionate about in life do you think you'd be a more motivated person let's let's look at an example around this let's say you sign up to do a half marathon uh, it's the first time you've ever done a half marathon you know it, it's a scary experience for you you've got all these kind of hurdles in front of yourself that you see and 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 let's say you just sign up and you go on alone and you just do it by yourself now that's going to be pretty tough but let's say on the other side that you decide that while you sign up for this half marathon, you go to your bookstore and you buy all books on running. You buy some on technique, you buy some on just inspirational stories, you buy, you know, any kind of book on running. And you try to read that for half an hour a day. At the same time, you, you try to find movies about great sporting achievement. At lunchtime, instead of jumping on YouTube just to 
kill some time you, you actually use that time to watch YouTube clips of the greatest runners of all time achieving great races you know Peter Snell from New Zealand you know Gabrielle Celesi um, you know the, the top female runners of all time you know to learn you watch videos on technique you watch the greatest thinkers of the sport you find podcasts that you can listen to on the radio on the way to work on uh, from, on half marathon training do you think that if you put all that content into your life that you'd be more inspired to achieve well in your half marathon I would I would argue that you definitely would this is one of the lessons I, I learned when I was in my early 20s you know the 50-50 rule because what would happen was I'd find throughout my year I'd have periods of times where I just felt like I was flying where I was having so much growth and everything seemed to be going really well and then I'd have periods where I was, you know, kind of going down on the roller coaster ride, kind of letting bad habits slip in and, and you know, all this kind of stuff, you know, really recognising that things were going down. And I kind of looked at it and I thought, well, why is it that sometimes I'm so motivated, so focused and so driven towards certain things and, and why is it other times I'm pulling away and kind of pulling away from the habits and the things that make me the best version of myself? And one of the things I recognised was that when I was reading books, I seemed to be more motivated if I was reading books around the areas that I was trying to grow in. And uh, at that time, it made, became really clear that for me to keep developing as a person, I needed to find a way to keep reading books, have books as a part of every day of my life. Because there's something about planting a seed in my head from a book that inspires me, creates creativity, and motivates me to be the better version of myself. And from that time forward, that's when I kind of really kind of set this rule for myself of the 50-50 rule that, you know, there's nothing wrong with entertainment in my life. And I, and I, you know, as I said earlier, I love movies and all that stuff as much as anybody else. But then on the cross side of that, while I'm consuming content, I should really put a place where I'm inspiring, motivating and educating myself in the areas that I really love. So if you're going to add the 50-50 rule into your life, what are some ways that we can look at? Well, first of all, look at the amount of time you spend consuming content. So look at, you know, you know, I'm going to do a checklist for the show or like a worksheet like I do with every show. And you can look at all the time you spend consuming content throughout your week. Then you can look at times when you can remove some of the entertainment content and replace it with the inspirational, motivational, educational content. And, and I thought I'd suggest some ways that you can maybe look to include that kind of content in your life. And I think there's a few real obvious ones. First of all, the use of music. Um, I know from my own experience, and I'm sure all of you will identify that when you're out training or you're doing exercise, that good music can lift you to another level and what is good music well that's really depending on what works for you but you know find you know if you're going to go for a run find a playlist that just really inspires you you know when you, each song comes on oh, I love this song and the next song oh, I love this song you, I guarantee well I can't guarantee but I'm pretty sure that if you do that you're going to have an amazing run uh, poetry inspirational sayings and affirmations you know in your work desk have a couple sayings that you replace every week so that each week there's a saying on your computer because I think if you have it there all the time it kind of just loses its appeal you just kind of lose it but you know have some inspiration sayings and each week change it beside your computer uh, affirmations I think I may actually do a show on affirmations and um, so I might not talk too much about that but inspirational sayings I have a um, an inspirational saying that I'm going to share with you right now I read this um, every morning before I get out of bed, it's 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 an actual actually an old Apple computer ad, but I love it and I think 
it really sits with me. And I, every morning before I get out of bed, I read this. It goes, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules and they have no respect for the status quo. You can praise them, disagree with them, quote them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They invent, they imagine, they heal, they explore, they create, they inspire, they push the human race forward. Maybe you have to be crazy. How else could you stare at an empty canvas and see a work of art? Or sit in silence and hear a song that's never been written? Or gaze at a red planet and see a laboratory on wheels? While some see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. So, I know for me, even now just reading this, I kind of get all welled up inside because I find it so inspirational to keep me on my own path. Uh, the use of art is another way to inspire, educate and motivate yourself. Um, you know, all different types of arts bring out different types of emotions and to use that art to help you find emotion. Movies. Um, you know, find, you know, watch, watch your entertaining movie, but then try, if you need a bit of inspiration, watch a movie that you know will inspire you. You know, you might have your old favourites or you might have one that's been recommended to you by other friends. Books. Um, autobiographies from great people who have achieved big things in your time educational books in the areas that you want to go um, self-help books in, in certain areas and, and also novels because novels are another great way to inspire your mind through what you want to do on the books one uh, one that I'm really big on is audiobook um, I have I, buy, I tend to buy an audiobook a week and it's just an easy way to consume content because I know that when I'm doing the mindless things like cleaning or riding my bike to the gym or you know just around the house stuff I can be listening to a book and I tend to be able to manage to listen to a book about every 10 days so I'm managing to kind of consume around 40 books a year which if I were to read I may struggle to get that kind of level. There are plenty of other ways to consume content but if you're going to look at all these different areas and go okay well let's add the 50-50 rule in then I can make sure I'm getting great content that's going to inspire and grow me. It's also a good idea to set some rules around it. Like, for example, with me, with audio, um, I, I, I do tend to be one of those people who's always got my, my iPhone ears in. And, uh, and, but at the same time, I don't always want to listen to books. Sometimes I like listening to podcasts that are purely by comedians and it's, you know, um, it's, you know, it's just pure entertainment for my mind. And so I kind of have some rules around this. Like, if I'm around the house doing housework, I can listen to you know something from a comedian, whereas if I'm riding my bike to the gym, I'm listening to a book. And so I kind of set these boundaries around when I'm going to be doing entertainment and when I'm going to be doing you know educational, motivational stuff that inspires me and grows my mind. So to wrap it up, you know, think back to that list at the start. Think back to the companies who are spending billions and billions of dollars to gain your mind space. Are you going to let them have that? Are you going to let them just control a lot of the way you think that's going to, you know, it's for their profit? Or are you going to consciously choose to put, to use the 50-50 rule, you know, 50% of your content is entertainment, 50% of your content is stuff that inspires, educates and motivates you. Like Rick and Dick's story. Stories that are amazing, that when you listen to them, you're inspired to be that next level of yourself. 
Your mind is like your physical body. It needs good nutrition to help it be its best version of itself. So instead of putting the fat when it comes to content in your mind all the time, choose to find good quality content and you'll be feeding your mind the best quality nutrition so it can be the best version of itself. Alrighty guys, well that's pretty much this month's show. Uh, there are a few things I need to talk about before I wrap it up, but first of all I have done a workbook around this month's show and, and I, I I really like I really believe in this stuff and I think uh, I just I so believe in this stuff. I so believe in the in the stuff you feed your mind it really does have a huge influence on the decisions you make on a day to day basis. And so I've created a, like a, a kind of around a ten page workbook that helps you sit down, you know create awareness around the kind of content you're consuming right now and the times of days and the ways that you're consuming that content and then to develop a plan of how you can get better content in your mind you know based around the 50 50 rule it's, it's a really good workbook because it just helps you look at your life and kind of maybe set some of those rules like i do with my audio listening to help you set some rules that are going to create you know you listening or consuming better content to feed that better mind so if you want that um, pdf you can go to my website bevan james isles uh, slash fitness behavior and if you go on there you can click on there it's three dollars it's a cup of coffee and i think there's real big value in that and i think uh you want to check that out so go to bevan james isles slash fitness behavior and you can buy that there three dollars uh, you buy it through you pay for it through paypal or your visa card and then it'll just download to your desktop a couple of other things that I have done I, I, I do a lot of fitness writing I do fitness writing for a couple of magazines and newspapers and I tend to release one of my writings once a week on my website bevanjamesiles.com but someone asked if there was a way that I could send it to them as a newsletter so so that's what I've done so if you go to my website and you basically uh, I'll put it in this month's show notes so you can, there's just a little place where you can put your email and your name and just once a week I'll send you one of my writings out uh, it's totally free and that way you don't have to go back to my website to see if I've updated the website will just come to you in your inbox you can read it they're generally around four to five hundred words so um, check it out and you can also maybe send your friends to that link there uh, lastly just one thing I, I'm kind of just looking at right now is there's other ways other than iTunes to promote the show um, iTunes kind of tends to dominate podcast world and um, it's been pretty good to me I can't complain because my numbers are great for this show but I kind of want to think of some other ways to get the word out there about fitness behavior so if you guys can think of anything feel free to send me through an email um, I'm just kind of looking at you know different ways to get the show out there as many people as possible because um, I'm kind of pretty proud of my work and I want to get out there and help people kind of grow in lots of different areas so if you can think of any other way to promote show other than iTunes uh, that'd be great and saying that if you can go on iTunes put some feedback about the show that'd be really great it really helps the show and uh, I think that's pretty much it for this one's show there is one more thing actually I, there, due to the fact that I'm going to be jobless for the next two or three months uh, the building I work in is within the area that they're going to shut off in town and they're saying that it's going to be two or three months before it's reopened so uh, I'm not going to be have as much time at that location which means it opens me up to a bit more personal coaching now normally I limit it to six people at a time but uh, because uh, I'm going to have some spare time I thought I could really offer a chance for people to maybe get some personal coaching done if you want to get some personal coaching done uh, just email me on bevanjames at gmail.com and uh, I, I really look at the whole you know obviously you can tell from the show that I'm really into the behaviours behind fitness and I'm really into uh, personal uh, responsibility around your lifestyle choices so 
If you want to get some of that done, work it with me, uh, email me at bevanjames at gmail.com and we'll get in contact and I can do it to international people. I can use Skype and email and other forms of communication to make it work. So uh, yeah, if you want to get that done, check it out. So that's pretty much this month's show. I have to say it's a really interesting time in my life right now. You know, normally uh, we kind of get used to the structure of our life and I have a lot of freedom in my life in that uh, I get to work at the times I want to work and do the things I want to do with my time. But this earthquake really has created a lot of uncertainty of, of what the next period presents for me. And it's one of those times where it's a little bit kind of stressful, but also quite kind of nice at the same time as well, because it's one of those times where you can go, well, I get a chance to explore and expose myself to some different things. And I think I've really looked at this as an opportunity to, you know, just to play around with my life and, and maybe learn some things and take from it what you know some stuff that'd be really cool so the next month is going to be really interesting i don't really know what's going to happen and i hope i don't waste that time you know kind of mucking around too much um i'm going to be back again next month with another show i've got the ideas that i'm going to come up for next month's show i'm quite excited about next month's show um again if you have any questions for the show feel free to email me i'm, I'm sure i've probably said that i've you know whatever let's get on with it that's uh this month's show i'll see you guys next month on uh, fitness behavior you guys have a great month